I remember that song from Easter Sunday and that arrangement that Corey put together. And I remember how it moved me, us having not been together for a worship service for a number of weeks. That brought me to tears to, to see our worship team together worshiping, leading us in worship of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And even this morning, as I see it again, it brings me to tears to see our worship team leading us through that. And this is what's so moving to me when I think about the words of that song. The en endless days, there are endless days that we will sing God's praise. And yes, we're doing it now. But endless is the key word for me. It's going to go on and on and on into eternity. There's nothing that's going to be able to stop us from doing that. We are the church. We're the ones that declare God's glory. And every time we open our mouths and singing praises to the Lord, he hears it, he receives it, and he is pleased with it. And I'm so, so very happy to be able to do that with you. Singing his praises. Well, Corey and I and uh, some of the staff guys, we had a chat um, just as we were going through sermon collaboration. And when, I, and when we think about this passage, it's our heart's greatest desire that this passage would be sinking deep into your hearts, that it would be transforming your minds, that you would be laying aside the, the struggles and the challenges of this world, that you would let the Word of God transform your mind, changing your affections. That's what we want for you as we work through this passage. Today we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 8 and Romans chapter 12. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to review a little bit. Um, why? why? Why are these things such a big deal? And so starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul makes his appeal to us that by his mercies that we should present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? Why should we be concerned with presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, ones that are holy and pleasing to God? Why? Verse 2 says this, that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why should I be so concerned with that? Putting off the thinking of this world, laying that aside, per per permitting my mind to be transformed, to let, to let the Lord pour his word into me and change my affection uh, from the things of this world to him. Why should I be so concerned with that? Verse 3 says that we're to, we're to think of ourselves with sober, sober judgment, placing ourselves behind God and behind others, thinking less of ourselves, thinking more of God, thinking more of the family. Why should I be so concerned with that? And then last week, Jasper shared with us, while we are all individuals uniquely created and gifted to perform certain things within the life of the church, we are bound together, we are unified, we are individually members one of another, dependent on each other. Why should I be concerned with this? And this is why. If there is any motivation to use our gifts, if there is any motivation to transform our minds into the likeness of Christ, if there is any motivation to serve him whatsoever, it is this. And Paul makes it clear in the first few words of the first verse. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Our motivation for doing the things we do for the Lord must be in place. And the mercies of God are tremendous motivations for us to serve him, to love him, and to love the church. The mercies of God. What are your favorites? 
I want to remind you of mine. Number one, salvation, coming into relationship with the Lord. That's my number one mercy, favorite mercy. The second one is this, is that I know one day he's going to usher me into his eternal kingdom, whether it's by my death or he returns and takes me home to be with me. That's the second greatest mercy that he will remove me from a sickened world, a world that riots, a world that fights, a world full of opinions. He's going to take us. He's going to take me out of it and put me face to face with him. That's my second greatest mercy. And I'd like to share a third one with you, which comes out of last week's sermon. The mercies of God. The third one for me is this. It's the real church. It's the real church. That's my third greatest mercy, that I have the privilege of being in relationship with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Summit Church. I think about how uniquely gifted we all are and how necessary we are for each other as we experience relationship together with Christ. I think about the one body having many members, as Jasper described for us last week, and of course, being the parent of, of um, two sons now that have diabetes, my head goes to the importance of the pancreas in, um, in our lives, in our, in our physical well-beings. The pancreas is intended to regulate our blood sugar, and when I think about that, the regulation of blood sugar, you and I with, healthy with a healthy pancreas, we could eat a pound of sugar, we could run a marathon. We could, um, we could, we could um, get the coronavirus. We could watch our family slain in front of us. And our pancreas would be able um, to distribute the exact right amount of insulin in order to keep our blood sugar on a flat, um, even line. My sons are on an insulin pump. And you take that insulin pump, it's man's effort to try and duplicate what God has intended. And that would be a nightmare for anyone who's, who's, um, who deals with type 1 diabetes. A nightmare if they were to have to walk through all of those things. When I think about the life of the church, God intends for it to be a certain way. And what God intends is the best way. And oftentimes man likes to, likes to get his own ideas and motivations into the church and make it what he believes it should be, and, we, and it doesn't go the way it should. That's the pancreas versus man-made insulin pump. That's God's church versus what man thinks that church should be. Our motivation should always be the same, and it is that, the mercies of God, with our eyes fixed on him, looking to him to guide us and direct us as we move together, shoulder to shoulder, individual members, one of another, after the same goal. You know what's really awesome about that? There is an unintended evangelistic message that's being communicated to a community that's watching on when they see us functioning together in unity. And so, child of God, receive this as an encouragement. There is no greater place. I know the church can be messy from time to time, but there is no greater place to be than in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. To the unsaved that might be watching on, the message is exactly the same for you. There is no greater place to be than in the body of Christ. And my strong encouragement for you is to receive Christ, come into the fellowship of believers, and experience what it's like to have true unity in the body of Christ.
So as we get into this passage today, um, I'm going to ask that the Lord would pour himself out on us, that he would send his spirit to speak through me and to bring the word to you. And so let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. Lord, I am intimidated by this word. I am intimidated by this passage. It's so meaningful, but it's, it's my great desire, Lord, that you would take your good and perfect word and that you would deliver it to your church, that you would open hearts, that you would open minds to be able to receive uh, what you have to say today. And so, Lord, take a hold of my mind and my tongue and declare your word to the church. Stand between myself and them, and uh, may they hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, best gifts you've ever received. I'm wondering what they are for you. Best one, the first one that comes to my mind when I ask that is that my grandfather gave me a gun. Um, he actually gave me money to purchase a gun, and I chose the one um, that I believed he would want me to have, and so that's the one I got. And, but, but here's what I know about that. He didn't intend for me to purchase this gun to put on a shelf and let it collect dust and to never use I know this, he would be disappointed if I didn't purchase the gun and use the gift that he intended for me, for my enjoyment. If I didn't use it, I believe that would disappoint him. Best gift ever received. How about best gift you've ever given? I loved giving my sons their skis and their snowboards. And here's why. Because I knew it's something that they would absolutely enjoy, would bring them enjoyment. And when, I got, when, when Wendy and I got them those gifts, it was, they weren't intended to sit in the corner of their bedroom. They were, they were intended to be used for their enjoyment. And so how disappointed would I be if they weren't actually using them? Now, here's the beauty of this. As I have gotten them gifts intended to be used to bring them joy, I am also experiencing joy as I watch them use it. And when I think about how, the, how God has extended to us the gifts that he has given us, when he sees us using them and they are fulfilling for us, it brings him joy to see us using the gifts that he has given us. Best gift I've ever spiritually received, as well as you, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, spiritually speaking is this, the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit of God came on you, he gifted you with salvation, he marked you as his own, he put your feet firmly in to his eternal kingdom, and he gave you access to the fullest extent of the mercies of God. Salvation, eternity with Christ, access to fellowship in the body of Christ. That is the best and greatest spiritual gift that we can receive, is the Holy Spirit of God. And so when you think about your life in the church, in the body of Christ, what does your service look like? What does your activity in the body of Christ look like? What keeps you from participating if you are not? What keeps you from participating in the life of the body? Here's a bigger question for you. Do you even care to be active in the life of the church? Do you care to be a li- what, what Paul is calling a living sacrifice, one who has laid himself aside for the sake of the body of Christ, putting the body of Christ first? Maybe you are someone, see if you fit into one of these categories. Maybe you are someone, maybe you're a, a middle teenager that finds the life of the church stale and boring. 
Maybe the things of this world are much more attractive and fun to you right now. And you find activity in the life of the church stale and boring. Maybe you're an older teenager that says, you know what, I'm tired of the battle. I'm just weary of the battle. Battle against my flesh, I would rather just give myself over to it. I'm, I'm done conforming um, my mind to the, the way Christ would have me to think. I'm just going to turn myself over to the world. Maybe, maybe you're the stay-at-home mom that's homeschooling her kids. And you find yourself distracted by the cares and the worries of the world. Maybe you're someone that finds yourself, after being active in the church year after year after year, decade after decade, you find yourself disappointed in the church. The church is not what you expected it to be. Maybe you even find yourself disappointed with who God is. God not being what you expected he would be or what he should be. And maybe... Maybe you're the one that has poured your guts out for the church and you're just simply weary. You're weary of doing good. Well, today's passage, I believe, has an answer for you. And it's my hope and my desire that you will see you are absolutely, absolutely needed in the life of the church. You are needed. And so let's go to today's passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, and let's read it together. You are needed, church. You are needed, brother in Christ. You are needed, sister in Christ. Verse 6 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Key words, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, as you read through that passage, I want to bring some clarity to you. Maybe you're reading this and saying, you know what? My gift isn't even listed. I don't, maybe you're saying, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. Well, I want you to know that's not the intention of this passage. The intention of this passage is not for you to think and identify. Primarily, it's primarily not saying that you should read this and determine what your spiritual gift is. It's not an exhaustive list anyway. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read about some others. You can return to Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4, and there are other lists of spiritual gifts that are essential and necessary in the life of the church. This is an incomplete list of just seven of those. Here's what these verses are intended to communicate. This is Paul's intended purpose. What these gifts are for. Let us use them. Let us use them. Whatever your gift is, you're supposed to use it. You're supposed to get after it, but to do it with right motive. Now listen to how he says it. We're going we're gonna to go toward the second half of uh, verse 6, and we're going to walk through these gifts that he lists. He says, if, you're, if your gift is to prophesy, prof- or do it in proportion to your faith. Look at it. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith. Here's what he's essentially saying. If you have the gift of prophecy, do it. He says, if your gift is service, in serving. If your gift is service, or if your gift is serving, then simply serve. The one who teaches 
in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, do it with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's the message he's communicating right now is he's just listed seven gifts to be used in the life of the church. If this is what your gift is, just do it. If this is what your gift is, get after it. There are mysteries that surround some of these. Um, for example, prophecy. There's a lot of debate as to what he means there, but let's say this. Prophecy is simply the one who prophesies as the one who is intended to point people to God. So, in proportion to your faith, if you are someone that's supposed to point people to God, that's what you do. Do it. Don't hide your gift. Do it. Serving. If it's service, which that's cover all, then serve. Whatever your gift is, if you're a teacher, then teach. If you're someone that's been blessed to be able to give with generosity, then do it and do it with the right motive and do it cheerfully. The real issue is not what your spiritual gift is as it relates to this passage. Primarily, the real issue is this. Do you have a desire to actually serve and be active in the life of the church? Be active and your gifts will follow. If you are active in the life of the church, your spiritual gift will come to the surface. People will point them out to you. They will encourage you in the areas where um, they see your gifts being most fruitful. But the real question is, as it comes to this passage is, do you actually have a desire or the drive to be a participant in the life of the church? I've come up with, um, through talking with some people, I've come up with four, four reasons. There are many others, but four reasons why people are slow to serve in the life of the church. Here's the first one. I have Jesus, and that's all I need. There are many that are absolutely content with simply receiving the truth of the gospel message and sitting down and bathing in the love of Christ. And I want you to know something. That is absolutely necessary in the life of the believer. But according to this passage, that's only the beginning. That's not the end. You come into relationship with Christ in order to serve him and his church. Yeah, I'm good. I have Jesus and that is all I need. That's incomplete. Reason number one why people are slow to serve is because they say, I have Jesus and that's all I need. Here's a second one. I'm too busy. Too busy for the church. My things are currently more... This is what they're communicating. My things are currently more fun than God's things. I watch people wait to the last minute to determine whether or not they want to be um, participating in the life of the, in, in an activity of the church because they're wondering if something more fun is going to come along before they commit. I'm too busy. Psalm 37 says, hey, look, if you fully delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. The one who says, I'm too busy for church, has yet to fully experience the delight of the Lord. Here's a third one. I'm just, I'm burned. I've been burned or I'm burned out. I'm tired of doing. And it's not making a difference anyway. I've given my heart and soul to the church and I'm not seeing anything productive come out of it. Well, I, I, here's a word for you. That's the life of ministry. 
When I worked a job in sales, at the end of every month, I could see how productive I was. When I worked um, construction, at the end of the day, I could look back and I could see a wall that I had built or windows that I installed or a floor that I had completed. I could see the productivity, the result of the productivity of my day. When I came into ministry, something really, really hard hit me right in the face. And this is for you that believes that you're burned out and this is what makes it hard for you to engage in serving in the life of the church. We probably won't see the impact of our service until the day, the full impact of our service, until the day we're able to stand in eternity with Christ and look around and see the fruit of our labor. We're told to not, Galatians chapter somewhere says that we're told to not grow weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So listen, don't give up. Stay after it. Stay in the fight. Stay in the battle. Serve. One day you're going to stand with Jesus and look around and he's going to say, hey, look, look at what happened as you humbled yourself beneath me and you served me. And you will see the fruit of your labor. Hey, this one is very familiar to me. A fourth one, it's too intimidating. Too intimidating. I, like right now, I'm staring at a sheet of paper delivering a message to you. I want you to know that is a very intimidating thing to me. When what I knew that God was calling me into ministry I wouldn't speak it. I felt like Moses. Moses was like, absolutely not. This isn't for me. I'm slow of speech. I can't talk. Okay, well, I'll bring Aaron, but I'm not letting you out of it, he says to Moses. I felt like that was me. I remember the day where I was able to declare, yes, the Lord is calling me into full-time ministry. It was intimidating. It was scary. I was brought into full-time ministry. I was told, I need help counseling. Me? I was asked, I was told you need to, by the elders, you need to help counsel. I'm like, that's not me. That's too intimidating to sit across the table and take the word of God and bring it to bear in the lives of those and, 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 and deliver the gospel message in such a way that would change their marriage or save them from this or change them from that. So very intimidating. And then, and then I learn, then I learn, oh my goodness, I need to preach more. How very intimidating that is. But all along the way, the Lord is saying, humble yourself beneath me. Let's get after it. I will be with you. There's no need to be intimidated. I'm going to use this for my glory and for your good. And I said, okay. But I do have to be honest with you. It's still not easy at times. But praise be to Jesus for his unending presence as I, and, and, and his constant calling me back to his mercies, focusing on his mercies. Maybe yours isn't one of those four, your reasons for not wanting to serve in the church. Well, what is yours? If you're not serving in the church right now, if you're not an active participant in the life of the church, why? What's your reason? Well, I want to leave you with a word of encouragement. I don't know where you stand with all of that. But here's the word of encouragement. Your church needs you. Remember Jasper's passage? Your church needs you, and it needs you to be serving in the life of the church, fulfilling your obligation, thoughts on the mercies of God, letting them drive you in your service. Look at verse 6 now. We're going to go backwards. Look at verse 6. Having gifts 
Simply being told that you have gifts declares this. You are gifted. You have a gift. Be active in the church and your gifts will reveal themselves. Here's something else. It bears, if you are gifted with, with, with gifts that are driven by the Holy Spirit, it means you are Holy Spirit filled. It bears testimony to your faith. Having gifts that differ, you are needed in the life of the church. Gifts that differ, you are necessary and vital. Why? Because no one is like you. In Ephesians um, chapter 2, it says that God prepared works for you to enter into. He's prepared these things that are specifically set aside for you, and only you can fulfill them. You are necessary and you are vital. Having gifts that differ, look at the verse again, according to what? The grace that is given to us. This is a declaration of you having received God's undeserved favor. You have received his undeserved favor. I think about this. Christy Lothamer, she was the, she is the wife of a former staff member here years ago. She said, why do we pray for more grace? Why do we pray for more grace? Having gifts that, give, that differ according to the grace given to us. When God pours his undeserved favor out on you, when he gives you his grace, there is no need to pray for any more because you have, given full, you have been given full access to his undeserved favor. And you have that. Verse, verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and here it is, church, let us use them. Get after it, is what he's saying. The church needs you. I don't know what it is that would keep you from being an active participant in the life of the church. I don't know what it is that would be keeping you from serving. But understand this. As you serve, your life is declaring the grace of the Lord your life is declaring, as, as God has poured his grace out on you, the expression of gifts in the life of the church reveals the grace of God. So let's use them. I know the real question is often, okay, so what's in it for me? So we want to wrap up with this. So what's in it for me? I want to challenge you with something today. That's not the right question to be asking. So what's in it for me? It's not about, think of it in these terms. It's not about what you get. It's all about what has already been given. So let's go back to verse 1. Paul making his appeal to us by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, what has already been done for us. We need nothing else from Jesus because of what he has already given us. So the question is not what's in it for me. The question is, am I seeing what God has done for me? Are my eyes focused on the great motivating 
mercies that he extends to me every moment of every day. It's not about what I get. It's about what has already been given. The mercies of God are the right motivation to serve in the life of the church. So, what's it going to take for you, member of the body of Christ, what's it going to take for you to participate in the life of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Lord, may your word have its full impact into the lives of those that have heard it today. Lord, I pray that your church, Summit Church, would be a marvelous declaration of the mercies of God as we serve together, as we love together, as we are actively participating together in this ministry that you've called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. church waiting on Jesus, accomplishing his purposes, loving him. Let's sing this together, Summit. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner. Wake up the same, let every nation shout of your fame. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride who's waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you.
Summit Church, brothers and sisters, we are the church. We're the bride of Christ, and we are waiting for Jesus. He's coming. He's going to come again. He's going to take us, and He's going to take us to where He is. But until that time, He's left us here for a reason. The reason, part of that reason, is He's given us abilities through the Spirit. He wants to use us for what? For one another, for the body to build it up. Use your gifts. Get after it. Put yourself in a position so that can be manifested if you don't know what it is. So what is it that will get us and motivate us to start seeing part of our purpose that we're here is to build up this wonderful body that we get to be a part of. What a beautiful thing that God has saved us first and foremost, but then He's given us the power of His Spirit and He wants to use us. That means every single one of us. No one is excluded. So God, I pray that you would help Summit Church use our gifts the way you want, how you want, and for one another. What a privilege. Remember this church. We say it all the time and we mean it. You are loved.